This is Modern Woman. Find us at modernwoman.co for further info. My guest today is the president of the Women's Tennis Association, Mickey Lawler. During her nearly three decades in sport entertainment, Lola has played an important role in expanding the geographic footprint of women's tennis and has served as the managing director for both Octagon Tennis and Global Initiatives. Today, she is the driving force behind the Women's Tennis Association, international growth strategy, business development, and was also on the board when equal prize money was secured. Speaks five languages fluently and is a mum to three children. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today, Mickey. Thank you, Rosie. The pleasure is mine. So tell us, what inspired you to get into women's tennis specifically? You know how life is never truly linear. In fact, it's, it's the opposite of linear. And uh, I found myself by complete chance working as the communications officer for the ATP, and that was called the Men's International Professional Tennis Council at the time. I actually think I got the job because I remembered the name. And, um, and that is how I got into tennis. And then from there, I uh, went to work for Octagon, which was called Advantage International at the time. And, uh, and I worked on the men's side at first and then, and then evolved into, into both sides and uh, becoming much more involved on the women's side. So I know that you obviously spent the initial part of your career on the men's side. What would you say the differences were between men and women's tennis? Well, at the time, the women's game was was a much younger sport, um, even though it, it wasn't really. But, but the professional evolution of the men's game seemed much more established. And, uh, and, and it was actually really interesting because the women went into markets where where the the men didn't go. So let's say the men were in London, Paris, you know, uh, Berlin, Milan, and and so the women would go to smaller markets. But that became to change. That that started to change very quickly, and um, and the women. I'm embarrassed to say that when I, you know, I was 27 years old and at the time I considered myself lucky to be on the men's side because I, I thought it was a, you know, a safer bet like an IBM versus a, a Hewlett Packard or something at the time. And then as soon as I acquired more wisdom and, and experience, I realized that the upside was really on the women's side, that it was, even though it was a more of a startup, there was much more growth potential. And the women were extremely involved in growing their, their tour. And, and so it was, um, it was a very different scene. You know, the, the, the men were, they were established professional athletes and the, the women were equally great athletes. They had to go the extra mile. And it sort of, you know, draws a, a parallel between men and women in, in life. Absolutely. So did you feel that was something you felt there was sort of opportunity of growth and what you wanted to grow with? Completely. Yes. And why would you say tennis is a good career for women in comparison to other sports? So do you mean that as an athlete? Yes. Well, because tennis has achieved so much, it's it never lost its startup mentality. And I don't think any business ever should um, because, you know, you want to foster the creative 
genius and and you know you want to walk that balance between confidence and and humility and as a startup company you do that and and it creates this incredible team environment so so even though there is this this great mentality there is um huge progress in terms of opportunity for for girls and women and um and you know they they can earn a very nice living so financially women's tennis is miles ahead of other sports and female tennis players have an opportunity to play day in day out all over the world the season is extremely long too long in my opinion but yeah. it is um it offers a lot of opportunity for a a professional athlete that's interesting and why do you think it's so far advanced um in terms of its growth compared to other sports because from day one at the Grand Slams um, in the Open Era, the men and the women competed on the same stage, and that gave the women a tremendous. Well, it gave both actually tremendous opportunity, and that's what made tennis so incredibly appealing. If you look at, you know, when I grew up, women and girls, we weren't even that welcome to go to football games. And it was a, a men's scene or a man's scene. And tennis, you know, going to Wimbledon or going to the U.S. Open or the Australian Open or the French, that was a, you know, equal gender kind of entertainment property. And, and it was wonderful to see Chris Everett and Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe and Martina Navratilova and all of them together. And that's why... I think I loved it and people of my generation loved it. And I think that's given tennis a, a, a huge upside from the from early on. So let's move on to your first song choice, uh, which is Marvin Gaye, Mercy Me. Tell us why you chose this record. Uh, well, first of all, the, the loss of Marvin Gaye was incredibly tragic, how he died, when he died. And he, you know, Motown and the whole scene was also very, very important when I was growing up. And if you had to choose a soundtrack to the 70s, that's what I would, that's what I would choose. And the 80s and, um, you know, Diana Ross, Marvin Gaye, they even did an album together and it was wonderful. Um, Marvin Gaye was a musical genius, had a wonderful voice and we lost him too soon. So Mercy Me is a reflective song and I always turn it on when I need to, you know, reset the paradigm um, in life and, you know, when you're trying to rebalance yourself, I guess. So I know you were born in Holland, um, so let's go back to sort of your childhood. What was growing up like? I was born in Holland, but my father 
worked for Philips and we went abroad when I was one. So my brother was born in Colombia and my sister was born in Argentina. And we lived in Latin America for 16 years and then we moved to East Africa. So Holland for me, of course, my family's Dutch. My grandparents um, are all four of them were Dutch. And, uh, and the memories of Holland are when we went on home leave, leave, which was not every year. And when we were living in the Southern Hemisphere and we had our long summer vacation, it was winter in Holland. So it, I have great memories, but, um, but home to me was more Latin America and, and then Africa. And I came to the U.S. in 1992 as a graduate student and so i um you know it's it's kind of like everywhere is home and nowhere is home and i'm struggling with that a little bit today actually because i spend so much time on planes and and um traveling so so much that i wonder whether i should even own a, a home <laughs> but i should for my children um who are grown but you know it's it's uh, th this question of where is your home has always been um, an existential question for me. Interesting. So with that, tell us what three main areas, what does your work entail today? Since I joined the WTA, we um, and, and soon after that, Steve Simon joined as the CEO. We've really transitioned the organization from a governing body to a much more um, commercial, but in a good sense, a, you know, a growth engine. So I take over, I mean, I take over, I look after the, um, the commercial, the content and the marketing verticals. And rather than looking at them at, as verticals, I, I, we look at them as a, as a wheel that powers the engine of WTA. We are at a very, pivotal moment in history and we have a tremendous opportunity to align with brands whose values we share and with organizations whose values we we also share and um and so we've we've done some really neat things and and obviously business technology we're living in such a a um turbocharged world in terms of the pace of change the pace of things having to, to get done, um, to stay, not only to, to grow, but to stay relevant, that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost against, it's almost like a race against results. And, um, and so creating this wheel of um, progress is what I look after. Okay. And with that, I mean, you talk about results and on this sort of journey, so to speak, where is your, where's your end goal or where do you want to get to? You know, I don't have an end goal. The, to, to me, the end is, is passing it over to the next generation in a very healthy, healthy state and giving the athletes and the tournaments an environment in which they can thrive. So, in the digital age, it was about, and it is about growing the digital footprint, which gave us a massive opportunity that that we had before, but in very limited terms. So, so since I've been in tennis, I've always been astounded by the number of just mind-blowing stories. The athletes just 
each of them has an incredible story to tell. And we would focus a lot on the live action on the court, and that's what you would see on television. And if you were lucky, you would get an interview to be able to tell that story or a, a special segment on television to be able to show that story. But now in the digital space, there is like a a blank slate to be able to tell all of those stories and to to target them to where they're going to make the biggest impact. So an athlete can start and, and she can be a superstar in her country, but she does not yet transcend international borders. Um, and then when she gets to transcend international borders, then that story can be told globally. But but they're also great stories on a local and a regional level. So we're trying to to get that across to our fans and to grow the fan base through those, you know, through getting to know the athletes because they're really extraordinary human beings. Let's move on to your second song choice. Yes. So Stevie Wonder, I he, he means a lot to me from my days in Africa. When I moved to Africa from Latin America, the um, Songs in the Key of Life uh, was published. And and to know that Stevie Wonder was a blind genius musician and he'd had a baby girl and, and the sense of this girl without even being able to see her was so, um, it was so tangible in his music, you, you could, you could feel what he was feeling and you know i was just a teenage girl and um and so to me his ability to use music to express what he perceived without vision was quite extraordinary so that song is an all-time favorite isn't she lovely yes before about women like transcending where they live locally but then also trying to get into an international level and I guess my mm-hmm. question is really you know what makes some players like say Serena Williams high profile in the public eye compared to other players that will probably still be as credible you know you've got your superstars in every sport and and the superstars are superstars because first and foremost they perform Having 23 Grand Slam titles is truly extraordinary. And that transcends tennis. It transcends anything. So, you know, she is a superstar. And I guess that to to perform at that level so consistently, you almost have to be superhuman. You know, and Steffi Graf, who has 22 Grand Slam titles, um, and Monica Selish and Gabriella Sabatini and Chris Everett and um, they they are just incredible athletes, but they also have a big presence on the stage. So so they're superstars. You know, Maria Maria Sharapova is a superstar. Then we've got the the case of Anna Kornikova, who never won a title, but she 
was pivotal in the history of women's tennis because she transcended the sport and she was like a supermodel, super athlete. So, you know, this was a woman who looked perfectly and, and she had this extraordinary talent on the tennis court. So th- those are key moments in our, in our evolution that, you know, why was it Anna? And yes, looks have, have, you know, it's, it looks have to do with, with presence and, and appearance and whether we like it or not, it is also important for the men, uh, I believe. And, um, and, and I can assure you that when I worked on the men's side and I negotiated a lot of endorsement deals, the, um, the ones that looked like, um, super Superman, they earned like <laughs> Superman. So, you know, it's, it's this aspirational image that you're, that you're creating and it's backed up by sheer performance. And you mentioned about, you know, the women being sort of superhuman, but I mean, what is it that they've got? What makes them in terms of their training or the qualities? What have they got, do you think, in them that makes them sort of that powerful? So it varies from from personality to personality, but all of them, the superstars, they have to perform consistently. And to do that, they need incredible mental resilience and the ability to put things in perspective. And maybe their perspective is different from your perspective or my perspective, because, you know, in, in a way, their perspective has to have them at the center of, I can do anything. So their confidence level has to be incredibly strong. But I would also argue that it takes a fine balance between being extremely confident, well-prepared, and being humble and respectful of your opponent. And it's how you walk that balance is is what determines your level of success. But I think a, a healthy percentage of humility is, is very good because you need to respect your opponent and you need to respect the, the moment and the, the stage on which you're performing. Uh, your fans, the investors, every stakeholder, and and be able to sit back and think, wow, you know what? I am very fortunate to be in this position. So so I need to take this opportunity and back it up by sheer hard work, incredible discipline, tremendous focus, and you know mental toughness. And that's that's what it takes. And the approaches to how you get there can be quite different, but. One thing that I see very consistently in sport in in general is that, um, you know, you see a very young, super talented athlete winning a Grand Slam and then not being able to win because life changes overnight and this adjustment period takes place. And it is those athletes that are able to to fall and then climb back up. and, And that's a heavy and hefty climb. Those are the ones that do that successfully. Those are the ones that usually can stay and, and they can be the, the performers of, uh, you know, of the, the consistency that, that we talked about in, in the Super Champs. How fascinating. Let's um, move on to your third song choice, which is George Michael, uh, Cowboys and Angels. Um, yes. Buy this record, Mickey. Because uh, George Michael, again, a super talent in his field, 
gone way too soon. When he died, uh, it was around Christmas or on Christmas, I believe. And, um, and you know, we see this, this struggle of sexuality and, and coming to terms with one's sexuality. And, you know, we see that in sports quite a bit. And George Michael really, you know, actually, we, we have a wonderful body of work in Bohemian Rhapsody that, that tells this story. And I think George Michael um, struggled with it as well. And, um, and he had that Brazilian um, love of his life that he loved and lost to AIDS. And so, um, so when George Michael died, that song to me really showed his, his talent, his, his musical genius, his incredible voice. And, and it's got this, just this beautiful uh, arrangement, uh, his accompanying arrangement. And, um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the song that I remember him by, but, but I also love Praying for Time, which makes me think of him. talk about equality in the sport and equal pay so there's equal prize money at all four majors um, but obviously there's still a push for equality at other tournaments and I'm interested to know you were obviously on the board at the time of equal prize money coming to play tell us about that moment how did that happen it was a very long journey and um, and as you know you know if you've seen the battle of the sexes and the history of how the WTA was formed. It is sort of ironic that um, that the USTA stepped stepped up so early to offer equal prize money, and um, and Jess and I were just looking at the evolution of prize money, and it is it is an incredible uh, journey to take a moment to look at because. Back in 1975, Wimbledon prize money was 144,875 pounds, and last year it was 34 million pounds. So equal prize money happened in 2007, and what we argued at the time was the value of entertainment, the the value that the women brought to the table, and the arguments that were made by the slams, you know, they were they were valid. They were valid because they said, well, actually, the women can make even more prize money because they tend to play more doubles, more mixed. And so so they have an equal opportunity, equal earning opportunity. And and that and I remember this because that was the biggest struggle for me internally was the the equal opportunity to earn equal prize money. And Wimbledon said that at the time that when they spoke to their financial partners and their broadcasters, that the women did not perform as well as the men. So again, there, I struggled in terms of, okay, well, 
if that's the case, you know, prove that to us and and then maybe, you know, we need to look at that. We, we absolutely don't want anything for free. But at the end of the day, in fact, I think that we may even get to a point in my lifetime whereby that is going to be a very hard argument to make because there are so many partners that are going to align financially with the women just you know just because of the opportunity of the the economic opportunity of women as as consumers and you know women represent a bigger opportunity than China and India combined so they make 90% of all purchasing decisions and um and and you know it's 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 women are a a group of of humans yes half of the population that is equally important to the men so the fact that we're even talking about this and we are you know and i'm not referring to this conversation but but it comes up in every conversation is is sort of absurd but it was at the time you know again in in this quest no matter that it was the right thing to do because you're playing on a big stage and it it's it's about much more than sport and entertainment it's about your community and the impact that you have on humanity and so to send a message that equality is here and equality is here to stay was a very very big deal but we did not want to to get anything for free we had to earn it and i think the women have really earned it. Why do you think it is that other sports in comparison to, say, like women's football and things like that are just not quite there, are they? You know, they have got, it's they almost like they've got quite a way to go. I mean, why do you think that is? Well, again, I, I think tennis is, is in a very good position because they played, they shared the stage with the men from the get-go. Okay. So, so you love tennis because you could see both genders perform and 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 in other sports but mind you when you see attendance figures for the women in um in in football it is it's a sport that is growing significantly and it's very exciting to see because the the they've had you know we've had an advanced start um We've been professional almost for 50 years. Uh, we are the WTA was formed 46 years ago. We're we have a massively important global footprint that is bigger than many other sports, um, including the big sports in the U.S. So so we have a head start, and and that's really important. But if I were running the women's football league, I would I would say let's draft off of that. I know they are because. We're looking in our rear view, view mirror and they're getting closer and closer. And I would love to have the attendance figures that they have at many of our events. So I think they're going in the right direction and they will get there. And it's the same with WNBA and, and the LPGA. And, you know, we had a head start. That's how I um, frame it. And, you know, that's what I believe. So let's move on to your fourth and final song, which is uh, Noah and Cohen. Yes, Catastrophize. So this song, my youngest daughter, Juliet, said to me, you should listen to this artist because we all share a, a deep love of music. And um, 
And so she sent me a text and uh, and she said, you know, lis- listen to him. And so I listened to the whole album. And I love this song, Catastrophize, because I wake up very early in the morning to work out. And that's getting harder and harder because with all the travel and time changes and jet lag, it is really hard to hear your alarm clock go off at 5.15 in the morning. And you have to be sitting on a bike or on a treadmill 20 minutes later. And so this this song, just the title is, um, you know, I think catastrophize because left and right, you know, everything is a whirlwind and I feel like I'm putting out fires all the time. And so it's like the theme of my life is, you know, one big catastrophe. And that is trying that I have to, or I try to manage as well as possible. And, and, and it's very upbeat. So, it helps me wake up in the morning and realize that no matter what catastrophe comes your way, if you're healthy and strong and you get to that workout in the morning, you can you can deal with anything. And maybe remember the past, but not hang on to our old ways. Let's pity laugh at the jokes we tell in bad taste. All my friends think I'm funny in a sad way, but they know not how they speak. Oh my God. You sit and wait for time To change your luck Helping up those lights Oh, don't you know Don't you know You're the last thing on my mind Oh, I could touch Just Talking of, you know, your family life and things like that and, and juggling a lot of balls and hats how do you actually manage that family life and being so successful in your career? Well, thank you um, for for that. I, you know, it's it's interesting. People often say that there needs to be a clear delineation between your career and your home life, and I've always taken the opposite approach, which I think. It has been hard at times, and I can absolutely assure you that my kids at different stages of their lives have wanted to throw my phone and computer away in the river. Um, They have, you know, yelled and and screamed at me, but at the same time, I've always involved them very closely. I've explained problems to them and dilemmas that I faced even when they were young, and I've brought them to to events and tournaments with me. They've traveled extensively with me. So I was very conscious early on about giving them the upside and the the positive um, opportunities that come along with with my career. And that is, um, you know, going to these incredible events and visiting these fantastic cities and getting to know people from different cultures and learning to be adaptable, flexible and open minded. Uh, So today, when they're almost 21, 27 and 28, I really believe they are the people that they who they are because they learned to, you know, be the extension of of my career, and they feel that tennis is in is in their blood. So it is really interesting. I I think if you're going to be good, re, you know, really, and I'm not saying I'm really good, but if you're going to excel in anything, it has to be your extended family. It has you have to be passionate, and and it has to be a huge part of your life. So how can you create a very firm delineation between the two. I have not been able to do it. 
But I think it's okay yeah. because so far none of them are in jail. <laughs> no, I can. Um, I really can understand that, and uh, I totally agree with you. I do think it needs to be. You know, those that have really succeeded in their career, it is part of their life. You know, it really is. Um, I mean, in retrospect, do you think you would change anything in that respect? No, no, not not with the uh, children. I wouldn't. Um, no, I, I don't think I would change anything. I, I think the, the only, the only, if I can give advice at my advanced age of 58, I would say that uh, women sometimes underestimate themselves, and I certainly still do myself. Uh, in in there are many moments when I think, what what can I contribute to this conversation? Look at all these people and who they are and what they've achieved. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, it, it, it is good for us to, to take a moment, look back and, and be proud of what we have achieved and, and uh, you know, again, be very respectful of the opportunity that was given to us. And, um, but be proud of the fact that we stepped up and, and we backed it up. Well, just one last question. I'm intrigued to know, what would you say, what is success looks like to you? Oof, success looks like a a somewhat balanced you know a, a manageable somewhat balanced happy and healthy life so there will be days when it's imbalanced there will be more days when it's imbalanced but if you can really have an impact and uh and and make a difference and and be a good person and bring value then um you know and and you're a good mom to your kids and, and a good person and that's success well, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you mickey i've really enjoyed it is there, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, thank you rosie i just want to want to wish you great 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 luck with this year of modern woman because it's a great idea and uh, it's a huge service to other women who are getting into business and uh, and who are trying to find that that perfectly imperfect balance. Thank you. Well, that was Nikki Lawlor from WTA, and this is Modern Woman. <laughs>